Well, good morning. Great job, guys. Thanks. I tell you that that gets your blood moving. What what a what an amazing video too. Did you did you get that story? I want to welcome you to Horizon. I want to thank you for welcoming me here today because we're going into the next clash of the titans. And today we are taking on the big dog. We are taking on Zeus. He's the king of the gods. He's the head of the gods. He's the father of the gods. And what you saw in that story was Zeus actually battling his own father. Now, I, I, I love mythology. I love this stuff. And I've always, this is the kind of thing that in high school I made sure I took the elective on mythology. And then I would actually read this like in my free time too. And when I got to college, whatever major I was in, if it was my, my history major or a philosophy major, you, know, you, you try to take those classes that have like the, the Greek and Roman history. Because this stuff is just fascinating. And I love digging into this stuff because the stories are so crazy. You got, you got a father in Cronus, Zeus's dad, who is so threatened by his own children that he does what any good father would do and he eats them. <laughs> not, not unless you're like a grizzly bear, right? Did you, did you know this about grizzly bears? They can be so threatened when, when a grizzly bear takes over a territory. He's so threatened by any other bear, even if it's his own children, that he will eat them to protect his territory. So word to the wise, stay out of dad's man cave. And that's what's going on between Zeus and Cronus. What's interesting is that actually happened to Cronus as well, because his father, called Uranus, was the father of the gods before Cronus rebelled against him. So Cronus knows how this goes when a son turns on his father. And now Zeus rebels against Cronus. And so we don't get a lot about Cronus because Zeus really takes center stage in this mythology. But what we do know is that Cronus created the world out of anger. His relationship towards his children and especially towards his son Zeus was one of conflict, one of constant lies, one of a sense of, of the threat that his own children presented to him. And so Zeus rises up against him to free his brothers and sisters. And what you see in the picture behind you, is, uh, behind me, is Zeus's mother replacing baby Zeus with a stone that Cronus swallowed. And that video explained to us how Zeus had to first get him to throw up all of his brothers and sisters so they could overtake him. And so the picture on the right is actually the stone that they believe that Cronus threw up, that had replaced Zeus, that still stands outside of that temple. So Zeus overthrows his father, and now Zeus becomes the father of the gods. Now, when it calls Zeus the father of the gods, it, it basically means that biologically. But what we're going to discover as we go into this clash of the titans today is that John, in the Bible, is taking this on directly. Because it's not unusual for different mythologies and different world religions to refer to the biggest god as the father of the gods, whether because they're a creator or because, like Zeus, there's a biological connection. You know, and, and, and I, I know as I studied this kind of stuff, one of the things that I found most fascinating was that people could actually believe in, worship, and sacrifice to something that they made up. Stories that they wrote and statues that they built, and then they would turn around and worship them. But you know, you may be sitting here this morning, and, and maybe the reason you're here at Horizon is because to you, the Bible sounds a lot like mythology too. And you wonder if that might be something that was made up. But John's going to attack this picture of a father of God and show us a different kind of picture, because Zeus really is only the father biologically. Uh, you can go ahead and go back one slide there. 
Uh, this is a slide that, there you go, that was shared a, a couple weeks ago and gives you a little bit of, of the picture of how the family breakdown happens. And so you can see Zeus off to the right. And the arrows are pointing to just a few of his children, Apollo, Dionysus, Athena, and Hermes. Uh, he was also the father of not only gods and goddesses, but many half-god, half-human creations, such as Persephone, Perseus, uh, Heracles, who you also call Hercules, Helen of Troy, the Muses, and one called Minos. Uh, Minos is, is the Minotaur. He was the son of a human woman that Zeus had seduced by looking like a, a beautiful bull, and when she climbed onto the bull's back for a ride, he swept her off to his secret island and raped her. This is the father of the gods that they would worship. And guess what? I haven't even gotten to the children that he had with his actual wife yet. All of these that I just listed are from extramarital affairs with other goddesses, humans, whatever creatures Zeus could find as he gave in to his lust. Now, I don't say all of that as an attack on Zeus. In fact, that is how his worshippers described him. These are the stories that they would tell about him. And so as you look at Cronus as a father and Zeus as a father, and now you can go ahead and advance it there, what we realize is that the Greeks made gods for themselves in their own image with all the flaws of humanity. And they made Zeus with all the failures that human fathers have and then called him their father of the gods. But it's into this world, into this time, into this place that we come to the clash of the Titans. Because as John writes in the Bible in the New Testament, he's going to write about a different kind of father. Because one father is a deadbeat dad. Zeus is like the original deadbeat dad. Anything he could do wrong, he did do wrong. Even as he had battled against Cronus for feeling threatened, Zeus became threatened by his own children and battled with them. And so we see that one father is a deadbeat dad, but one father is the living God. And so I would invite you to explore that with me today as we look at three key differences when your father is the living God. The first difference is that when your father is the living God, you see a different kind of father. Now this begs the question, because so many mythologies and religions do hold their, whatever their greatest, most strongest God is, and, and call him Father, it begs the question, who, who was the Father first? You know, that's one of the things we're really trying to look at in this series, because it, it may be that you've heard people say, well, Christianity just copied everything from the Greeks, because the Greeks went before them, and so they just pulled in those ideas, picked the ones they liked, and kept rolling. But this is another place where this concept actually comes much further back uh, than the Greek mythology did. And so uh, you saw this timeline in the first week, but we're going to go all the way back to Moses again in 1500 BC, early, early in the book of the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy, where this, one of the first places that this concept comes up. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 32. And what it says in chapter 32, verse 6, do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? So we see that the picture of the God of the Bible as the Father came very early on and long before these Greek myths. Not only that, but it's a theme that is carried throughout the whole of Scripture. The verse I just read to you was from the very early pages of the Old Testament, which is the, the first big section of the Bible. 
Uh, but the next verse you see on there is Malachi chapter 2. This is the last book of the Old Testament. So just before we turn the page to get to the life of Jesus and the picture of God as the Father continues. It says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Now we mentioned that Zeus' title as Father was largely biological because he was so busy having so many kids. But the picture in the Bible of God as the Father is different. It's not just a biological picture. You see, where the Greeks had made their God in their image, the Bible describes for us that God made us in His image. That among all of creation, we are special to Him because He built us for a relationship with Him. And so He is not only our Creator, but He loves us. And so this is a different kind of father. And that message gets stronger and stronger as the Bible goes on until we come to the New Testament and the book of John. In the book of John, God is called the father 118 times, more than any other book of the Bible. And so this becomes a major theme for him, and we see it throughout the words of Jesus in that book, as well as right in the first chapter of John's book. And so you can see there the words come from John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. Now this is a passage where John has been describing how God came to earth in the flesh as the person of Jesus Christ and what that message begins to mean. And so I want you to see a different kind of father here. John 1, starting with verse 14, says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we need to stop for a minute so that you understand one word in here. And that is the word, word. (laughs) You see how that's capitalized? Now often when we talk about the word of God, what we think of is the Bible, right? This This is the word of God, that's what we call it and that's what we mean. We call it that because... This is the way that God reveals himself to us. This is, this is the way we believe that God has given us his word so that we can understand who he is and more about him and, and how to have a relationship with him. Now in this passage, you see that it's capitalized. The word became flesh. In John chapter 1, that actually refers to Jesus himself. Because just as the word of God reveals God to us, the word, Jesus, is the ultimate revelation of God to his people, that we would understand him and be able to have a relationship with him. And so already you see how different this father's relationship with his son becomes. But let's keep reading. Verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. A phrase that keeps coming up there is grace and truth. Grace and truth. And we see that the relationship between this God as the Father and His only begotten Son, Jesus, is one of complete unity. Not of lies, not of threats, not of battle, certainly not eating Him. It's a relationship of grace and truth and love and peace. 
As Jesus goes on through his own life and as he's teaching people, there are many times where he calls God Abba. And that does not mean that God is a dancing queen. (laughs) It's actually a word that means father, but it takes on kind of a different connotation. When when Zeus is called the father of the gods, father is used really as, as a title of position and respect. And certainly Zeus has both of those. Because of the power that he commanded, he had a position over all of the other gods. And he earned respect because if you didn't respect him, he could destroy you. But Abba is a different kind of word. And it it really shares a picture of intimacy with God. And so that might be a name more like Dad. Now, what you see there is a picture of my dad. And he's got uh, one of my boys in his lap there. And you know, as I think about God the Father and how he relates towards us, I'll tell you, this is one of the most beautiful things in my life and one of my greatest joys is to see the man who loved me so much love someone so much that I love so much. To see this kind of love coming from a father. But what's interesting is is most of the time I, I call my dad Pops. I say, hey Pops, how you doing Pops? What time's the game Pops? Want to watch it with me Pops? If you want to call my dad, you get out my phone, you got to type P-O-P-S because that's how he saved in there. But a couple weeks ago, the day after Christmas, uh, my dad went into the ER on December 26th and got admitted to the hospital because he needed emergency surgery. And they said, you know, we'll, we'll probably get it in Monday and he'll be all right. He'll be back home soon. Well, once they got in there, they found even more things wrong. His surgery took three hours instead of one hour. And he ended up in the hospital for an entire week, uh, unable to eat anything. Uh, I, will, I will praise God before you that he is home and he is healing and, and he's almost back to normal now. But when I visited him at the hospital, that's a, that's a different kind of moment. You know, I've been blessed to have a good relationship with my dad, and, and, and he's 6'5", he's so I still look up to him. <laughs> but he was always strong, and he was always there for me. And then, and then you look at him in the hospital, and he's sick, and, and he's losing weight, and he can't eat, and he can't stand up. And in those moments, I, I find that I'm not calling him Pops anymore. I'm saying, how are you feeling? Dad, have they letting you eat anything? Dad, can I, just, can I just pray with you, Dad? I love you, Dad. You see, and it carries this sense of intimacy, that there's a close relationship there. And that's what Jesus does when he calls God the Father, Abba. How different is that from the Zeus that we see, or even Cronus before him. Because this is a relationship of intimacy, of grace, of truth, and of love. Now, I don't know, I think, any of of your dads, any of your earthly fathers. And you know, none of us is perfect. As much as I love my dad, my dad is not perfect. I'm a dad myself now, and I promise you, I am not perfect. I I proved that as recently as like yesterday. (laughs) You know, for many of us, our dads are, are not perfect. They're far less than perfect. Maybe, maybe your dad, your father, has sinned against you. you know, maybe the story of Cronus and Zeus sounds more familiar than the story of, of Jesus and God the Father. You know, maybe it's harshness or anger or, or lovelessness or abandonment. You know, maybe you lost your father to, to disease. You know, for some of us, there is the harsh reality that there is even physical or sexual abuse that is what we think of when we think of the relationship with our Father. 
When we come face to face with a father's failings, it's, it's difficult and even impossible from a human perspective to overcome. And so it's striking to me that in the midst of that, the living God, the God of the Bible, chooses to call himself Father. Because so many of our earthly, fatherly relationships as sons and daughters are so broken. And there's no doubt in my mind that this was true at the time that John was writing and at the time that Jesus, in the time that Jesus was alive as well. In fact, the pages of the Bible are, are full of stories of broken fathers who hurt their children. And yet God chooses this to describe himself because he is a different kind of father. And because he's a different kind of father, the second difference that we see is that this different kind of father has a different kind of message. He's not just father in title alone, but he has more that he wants to build into us. Now, so far this, this class we've taken on is, is really revolving around the word father and the fact that Zeus was called that and so is the God of the Bible. But we can get even more specific. Because Zeus is actually directly addressed in the Bible a, a couple of times. And so I'd like to share a couple of those with you. But to be able to do that, we've got to understand a little bit of archaeology. And so the picture that you see here comes from modern-day Pergamum in Turkey, uh, what would have been called Pergamus back in the day. And I have to confess to you, to me, they're just pictures. Uh, but I'm going to be living vicariously through Chad a little bit today. <laughs> because Chad was actually able to be there back in October. And so he shared some of what he learned there and what he saw. And this really is a pretty amazing place because in the, in the picture that you see, you see the mount there. You can see the full amphitheater. And at the bottom, as you look down, you see a, a, a temple to Dionysus, which is actually one of Zeus' sons. And at the top of the mount... Well, today there's nothing, but there used to be a glorious temple to Zeus, which at one point was sold and reassembled in Berlin, where it actually is today. And you can see on the next slide here a model of that temple and what it would have looked like. And so this is a temple that was built to Zeus in a place called Pergamus. And in the book of Revelation that you see on the screen there, this is also a letter that John, who wrote the book we were just looking at, John also wrote this revelation, a book of prophecy. But look at what he says here. To the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You want to talk about a clash of the titans? John is taking this head on. He's not dancing around the subject. He's not kind of skirting on the outside. He looks right at Pergamus and says, what is that thing that you're known for? What is, what is that place that everybody sees when they come there? Right up on the mount is a temple to Zeus. Well, he doesn't say, hey, I know where you live. That's the, the Zeus temple place, right? He says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. He calls out Zeus the father not just as an interesting mythology and, and an interesting piece of culture and something that I don't believe in but relatively harmless. He calls it out as the throne of Satan. This is the enemy. Because this father who cheats on his wife yet gets angry with her if she cheats on him, who hurts his children even as his father hurt him, who gives in to every lust, every lie, every threat. That is the father 
that your culture is talking about, that your culture is worshiping, that your culture sacrifices to. That's the throne of Satan. And we can get even more specific than that. Let's go a step further. If you turn to the book of Acts, chapter 14, there's a story here where two followers of Jesus, two of the people who were his disciples, who believed in him, uh, men named Paul and Barnabas, came to a place called Lyconia. And while they were in Lyconia, they met a man who was a cripple. And they actually healed this cripple in the name of Jesus and by the power of the living God, who the Bible calls the Father. But you can imagine that uh, someone who is crippled and is now able to walk catches the attention of some of the people around there. And and so look at what happens. This is uh, verse 11 you have on the screen there. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Now in the Greek mythology, Hermes was the messenger of the gods. He would do the talking for the gods that had a message to deliver. So since Paul did most of the talking, they figured he must be Hermes. And if he's got a message for this other guy, that must be Zeus, because we've seen the power that they display. Verse 13, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And to preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Paul and Barnabas take it head on. Because of the power they displayed, which they claimed came from the living God, the God of the Bible, the one that Jesus called Father. But the people around them had no context for that. What they know is the the gods and the goddesses of the Greek mythology. And so they think, he must be Zeus, right? But he calls them out on that. And and you look at what he says. Turn from these useless things. Now imagine the investment that, that one of these men, it calls a priest of Zeus. Imagine the investment that his life had made into the worship and the sacrifice and honoring Zeus. And now this guy says, it's useless. It's not one of the ways to find God. It's, it's not one chosen path. It's, it's not just a cultural, interesting thing. It's useless. But beyond that, he says, turn to the living God. You see, the clash is that the message of the Greek gods is that they're fickle and they need attention. They need constant validation from sacrifice and worship. And if you sacrifice to them, they may or may not help you out. If you sacrifice to them, they may or may not destroy you. And Paul looks at this kind of a relationship with a God who is called Father, and he calls it useless. Now think about this, and and, and answer these questions for your own life. Do you struggle with lust? Have you been trying to solve this issue? Are you looking from the inside and the outside for some way to battle back against that? If you struggle with lust, Zeus is useless because Zeus is the king of lust and he gives in every time. What about anger? This is one of mine. 
There are times where, where my anger gets the best of me. If I struggle with anger and I turn to Zeus, he can't help me. Zeus is the king of anger. He took his anger out on his father. He felt he was justified. He takes it out on his children where he's certainly not. Zeus can't help you. He's useless. What about jealousy? If you wrestle with jealousy, if you constantly find yourself looking at that other company or that other employee or that other man or that other woman and saying, if only I was more like that, if only I could have what they have. I don't like them because they've got what I wish I had. Zeus can't help you. Zeus is the father of jealousy. Struggle with lying? Zeus can't help you. Struggle with marriage? You have issues with your marriage? Problems communicating? Unfaithfulness? I hope it's been clear before now. Zeus is useless. If my wife and I ever have marital issues, if we ever need to go for some counseling or, or at times where we've spoken to wise older couples, I, I hope that she never stops by the temple of Zeus on the way to a counseling session. This will not go well. Zeus is useless, so you better get Zeusless. That's Paul's message. You see, this is a different kind of message. And you know what? You're probably sitting here, as I could be as well, saying, well, no problem, because I don't believe in Zeus. Right? You guys are sitting in Horizon today, but how many of you were at a temple of Zeus last night, or you did a little Zeus sacrifice at home? Probably not, right? But Paul is telling them not only that Zeus is useless, but that anything but the living God is useless to you. Whether you're looking from within, whether you're going to the self-help section in the bookstore, one of the biggest sections in the store, right? Because we're looking for ways to handle these things, to battle these things, to deal with these things. And this message says it's useless. Now that's a downer. But the positive is because there is a living God. And so even though Zeus is useless, he gives us that instruction to turn to the living God because the, the main difference of this message is that this different kind of father who has this different kind of message wants to have a different kind of relationship with you. And so the third difference is that when your father is the living God, you seek a different kind of relationship John describes that relationship in another one of his letters to the early believers and early followers of Jesus. This is John, 1 John 3.1. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Do you see that message? Do you see that different kind of relationship? You know, whether it was Zeus and the mythologies of the old days, or whether it's the different world religions now, the God who is the Father in, in these other places is always set up as someone who demands your attention, but does not offer His affection. But this is a different kind of Father. He wants a different kind of relationship. This is a God who loves you. Because He created you. A God who loves you because He made you. And when we realize the manner of love that the living God, who is called our Father, has for us, we can be called children of God. Now, that's, that's a truth that I've believed for a long time, but I feel like my understanding of that was, was multiplied when, when I actually had my own children. 
And so many of the verses that set up God as our Father and talk about His relationship with us begin to make so much more sense to me. Even something as simple as, there's a place in here where He says, A new command I give you, love one another. I wish my children would take that one to heart. <laughs> Be a little less, little less fighting in the house. Verses in here that say, Fathers, don't exacerbate your children. Something that God would never do to us when, when I drive my kids crazy. But verses like this, where it describes his love. You know, I've got four kids, and the first time that I, I brought my daughter home, our, our first child, the first time you hold her, the, the first time I, I walked her into our house, and, and you look at that little baby, and you just realize, I don't love anything else. <laughs> this, this is what love is, right? I would do anything for this person. And I still tell her that. She's five now. That's what God is saying for us. That he would do anything for us. Because we all need a dad who will love us unconditionally. We all need a dad who will give us approval. You know, Saturday morning before I drove down here, I, I come downstairs and my son Axel is sitting at the table. He says, Dad, watch how many grapes I can stick in my mouth. And it, it was like six or seven. He's only three. I was like, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, but I look at him and I think, I, you know, what I said was, that's great, Axel. <laughs> but you know, he doesn't have to shove grapes in his mouth to earn my love. I love him because he's my child. And, and that's the kind of dad that we need. A dad who loves us not because we earn it, but because he's our father. And for whatever your relationship with your human father may have looked like, this is why the living God is called the Father, because it's the best possible explanation of the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you. To bring healing to sons and daughters like you and I. And so we wonder, where does that relationship come from? How can we experience the grace and, grace and truth that is described in the relationship of God to Jesus, the Son? How do we find that? And John gives us one more verse that I would share with you today, John fourteen six. You know, many times when people ask me why I believe what I do, where I find it, what, what it means to me, I say, you know what, you, you really got to let Jesus speak for himself. And this is a verse where he does that. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in fact, Jesus is, is even bringing up another clash of the titans here. Hidden in this phrase, he says, he is the truth. Well, in the Greek mythology, that was one of Zeus's children. The father of the gods had one named Athena, who was the goddess of truth. But Jesus says, listen, you think you know the truth? You want to know the truth? I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Because I am the son of the living God. The exact representation of him to you that you might have a relationship with the Father. And he says, I am the way. He is the only way. Now that's, that's why the clash really matters. If there are multiple ways, if you can figure it out through Zeus, if you can figure it out through Dionysus or Pan or some of the others that we'll look at, then there's really no point in Jesus going to the cross to die for all the mistakes that I made and to rise again to offer me salvation and a relationship with God the Father. If anything works and you can find your own way, that's pointless. 
But remember, this message is different. Those things are useless. Because there is a living God who wants a relationship with you, and that comes through Jesus Christ alone. In just a minute, I'd like to to pray with you and pray for you. And then we're going to watch a video that invites you to consider that relationship. And as you do, I'd like you to think through this question for yourself. What will it take to seek a relationship with the Father? Would you bow with me as I pray? God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we recognize that you call yourself Father. And Lord, for some of us, that is so welcome. And for some of us, that is so difficult to process. For some of us, we have a good relationship with our human Father and And we can imagine that we might be able to love you even more. But for some of us, that only has negative connotations as it would with Zeus or Cronus. And so, God, I pray that even in these moments, you would break down those barriers, that you would show us what it means that you are Abba, Father, that you are our dad, that you want intimacy, that we can have a relationship with you that heals us from all the hurts, from all the brokenness, that gives us a joy like we have never known, that brings us grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Lord, even as we watch this video, I pray that hearts might be open to you, that my heart would be open and that hearts in this room today, God, that we might see you not just as a list of rules, not just as pages in a book, but as dad. Amen. I am the might before the sword the tremors in the spear shaft. I craft my ways through blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manasu, Sagamatha, Watchmen of the Asian plains, they yield my name. Made famous through the cries of albatross flocks, inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests. Release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for. I am the words. I emerge deciduous from the wetlands of your cries. Rise with the moments you wake. I bring the dawns that shake the fevers from your remembrance. I am here. I am imminent. I am he who crosses the plains through which you strayed. Discover the parts extinction seared. I dust away the dried remains of tears. Drain the lakes of your regrets. I wet the world, till the soil, forsake the toil, quell the rages, sow the broken pages with my belief in you. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. 
playing the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs, you are looking for me. In the body touching body, it is me you seek. In the groans and the longings, it is me you seek. In the yearning dream, in the need to be seen. In the love me, love me, it is me you seek. In the breath drop wonders. Gasping hunger in the touch of a stranger that makes you feel younger in the books and the fables in the this is me labels in the is this me is this me in the hear me hear me say my name in the touch me find me need me find me in the aching pain in the love the music the beats the taste in the heat and the need and the need for embrace in the color the gaze the meaning the desire in the flame of the voice and the spirit of the fire when you cry for more my name you weep i am he who waits for you to reach i reach for you and wait when you lie half broken and awake i am the watchman of your sleep i wait and wait to the shakings I am the truth they call release. When the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. Do you feel alive? You know, there are a lot of things that we seek that are useless. And so I'm just going to put it to you today. Get Zeusless. Turn to the living God. You know, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, we want to help you take the next step. And so I'd invite you today even to stop by the hearth room, third door on your left, and ask somebody the questions that you may have been holding in your heart, holding in your head, and you haven't let them out until now. Today is the day to ask them. Maybe you just need to say to somebody here, hey, can you introduce me to your Abba? Thank you for coming today. I pray that you will have a blessed Sunday afternoon. Go in the grace and truth of God the Father.